0: Welcome to this week's sermon from C3Church, Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. You know, uh, way back in 1995, I was driving a hire car in Los Angeles, Because I had gone back to minister in Russia and I had the opportunity to come home on a a ticket that was no more expensive to go around the world than to go just straight across Asia and back to Russia. So I came home via Toronto in Canada, where John Arnott's church was experiencing what he called the Father's Blessing and then he called the Toronto Blessing. An extraordinary season of meetings and people from all over the world being touched. So I went there. And then I came home via Los Angeles because I wanted to visit Jack Hayford's church. Now, I had only ever seen Jack Hayford preach once when he was in Australia, but I'd read many of his books. Um, and he's a wonderful and still is wonderful man of God, spirit-filled but with a great mind, and uh, as I said, written a lot of books that I'd read. And so I had the opportunity to come home because, obviously, on the way home, stop in Los Angeles, and I was driving to go and visit his church and hear him preach. And I turned on the radio... Uh, in the car and there's a preacher as you often seem to get in America preacher preaching away and I heard soon after he started preaching I heard him say this God is more interested in your character than your success and I recoiled a little to that because I thought oh hang on a minute you know God wants me to be successful doesn't he I don't know if I like the sound of this. Who is this guy? What does he mean, you know, God's more interesting, my character, you know, Because, you know, I, we'd only been pastoring this church for about a year. I was young and I was wanting to change the world in three weeks. And I felt, come on, you know, God, I'd heard a lot about dreaming big and aiming high and believing God for great things. And, and, uh, and then here's this guy sounding a little bit dour, a little, you know, I thought, oh. Because, you know, in the States, there's a lot of preachers. And uh, a lot of them on TV and radio, and not all of them good. Uh, there's some radical, crazy Pentecostal that are telling you it's all name it and claim it about money, and you know. And then there's some real conservatives stuck in the mud preachers that'll tell you that sickness is sent from God to teach you humility, and you know. So I'm wondering what am I getting here? But I, I started to listen, uh, even though I didn't quite appreciate that statement that he made um, and I as I listened I realized he's making some good points and he's backing them up with scripture and over the next 20-30 minutes I was totally convinced that he's, he's building a great case for this statement and I really took it on board and thought you're right God really is more interested in my character than my success and uh, and God you know it's much more important for for that for what he's doing on the inside of me I realized that and then, sure enough, the preacher finished, and the announcer comes on, and says, "That was Pastor Jack Heford from Church on the Way," and uh, that's the guy that I was going to listen to, but I had never, I had only ever heard him preach once, so I didn't recognise his voice, but I knew his teaching, and uh, and I thought, oh, well, there you go, uh, Jack had sort of taught me a lesson, you know, surprisingly, and uh, the fact is, God does want us to grow in our character, uh, to grow on the inside, to grow with spiritual maturity. Uh, and he's just not that concerned about what we might consider uh, what is really successful. He doesn't really mind what kind of job you do or what your bank balance is or how much you can bench press at the gym or how good looking you are or how many friends you've got on Facebook and the car you drive and you know all those sorts of things that uh, we might consider the measures of success, but they're just not... That important because none of those things that I mentioned are really are, are going to last long term the money the position you've got in the company or the organization your achievements your trophies your awards the plaques on the wall the size of your your house the number of houses whatever it's all those trappings look like a successful life but none of them are heading off into eternity but you are And not even your body, but deep inside who you are, your character, your spirit, your soul. Uh, And so that's why it's important to think what's going on on the inside of my life and live out of that, not just the trappings or the externals. Timothy Keller says this, Most people base their inner life on their outward circumstances. Their inner peace is based on other people's valuation of them and on their social status, their prosperity, and their performance. Christians sadly do this as much as anyone. The Bible, however, teaches that for believers, it should be the other way around. Otherwise, we will be whiplashed by how things are going on in the world. So we started talking about this last week, that rather than allowing what's going on in the world to influence too much, were we're talking about living from the inside out. Uh, so that our, as our character grows, as we can be strong uh, and, and, and sweet and settled and stable kind of on the inside, then we're not just going to be stable enough to withstand the winds and the storms of the world that it doesn't throw us, but um, we can bring what's healthy on the inside to actually influence the world around us, to touch people, to have so much... You know, joy and peace and love and gifts and abilities that God's put on the inside of us coming out to touch lives and bring blessing to them and then also bring glory to God and build His kingdom. So, how do you grow in your character? I think maybe having something to do with God would help um, because He's made us, uh, you know, and so we've got to figure out well, you know, how do I not depend on the circumstances for my internal well being? Um, how can i be healthy and growing from something on the inside well as i said best way for us is to connect with god and to respond to his love to receive his love to live in his love and to let god's love touch us and change us and and for us to do that obviously we've got to commit our lives to christ and then to follow him and stay connected to him and so Jesus talks about this in many different ways, in many different places that's recorded in the Gospels, about the need to be born again initially, to have that first-off experience with God, and, um, and then to follow him and how we stay following and how we stay close to him. So I want us to look at a passage in uh, the book of John. This is a famous uh, passage, John 15. We're going to read from verse 1 to 12, and this is the passage where Jesus is talking about the vine, and the branches, and um, and um, there it is, it's up on the screen. So this is the NLT uh, version. Jesus said this, I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener, or some translations say the, the chief gardener, the head gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and you're purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned that's talking about the end of time but if you remain in me and my words remain in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted when you produce much fruit you are my true disciples this brings great glory to my father I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a very rich passage there's lots to unpack from that and we won't have time to get it all out today but let's just notice the word remain there or perhaps your bible the more traditional rendering of that greek word is in english the word abide can also be translated to dwell to endure alongside with to live with to be continuing with or to stay close to so you get the picture and in fact I think Jesus really wanted us to get a hold of this because he uses that word 10 times in what John records as just six verses from verse 4 to verse 10 he says that word 10 different times and so um, I got an idea that he wants us to catch a hold of this concept that abiding in God or abiding with Jesus is important you'd agree and so he uses this picture, this analogy of the vine and the branches. Now, obviously, branches need to stay connected to the vine, right, because that's how it's going to grow. There's the vine, the trunk, the roots going down into the soil, getting the nutrients and the water, and it comes up, and every little branch needs that to obviously survive. And so no single branch is a source on, of its own. They need to connect to some life source to get these nutrients. And, um, and of course, Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine. I'm the true vine. And that's one of the seven, that's the last that John records of seven great I am statements that Jesus made. And here he's saying, look, there's, we're all going to draw our source of life and inspiration and we're going to feed off someone or something in life, but we'll be smart if we attend to what he's saying here. He's the true source of real life, the true grapevine that we should attach ourselves to. Uh, and it's a big study in itself, but you know the the vine is often used to describe Israel uh, going way back into the Old Testament. And as Gentiles, non-Jewish people, we've been grafted in, the Bible says. And so that's a really cool gardening kind of study too, to see how a, a you can get a, a one kind of, tree different species and grafted in like the tree in the courtyard here and they stick one bit onto another bit and they end up growing from the source from the original vine but all the other branches and you can get fruit trees that have you know what do they call them no it's not lemonade anyway we used to sell fruit trees that had different branches that had different bits of fruit it's crazy and uh all but all getting the same nutrients from the original branch or um root stock and so here's jesus offering us the opportunity to to abide with him to connect with him and and to make that connection and of course we all have that choice that's the the free will whether we want to or not Um, and notice that you know when he commands us to love one another at the end of that passage that i read that's really only possible if we are doing this abiding with him because I don't know about you. In fact, I do know a little bit about you, human condition. I think I I could say for all of us, we're going to run out of love ourselves, our own source of love, to properly love all the people that God calls us to. And not just our loved ones, but as Jesus calls us to love everybody, even those that aren't that nice to you. And so we need a pretty rich, deep source of love as he calls us, as he commands us to love. But we need to draw on his source of love, and we do that when we're connected to him. And then interestingly, you look on a vine, you've got branches that are then connected to each other, not directly, but because of the vine in the middle. And so that's a wonderful picture of the church. You can have branches way out over here, way out over there, different personality, totally different outlook on life, different fashion sense, different age, different background, all sorts of differences and yet still in unity, still in harmony, still part of the same living organism because they're connected to the main vine, not connected to each other. You can snap off two branches and stick them together and they're still going to just die together. And uh, and that can happen in life too. People can just be connected to each other, but there's this life source that Jesus offers. And uh, isn't that cool that wherever you're at in life and come from and all that, in the church there's this wonderful mix of... We had someone up here a little while ago saying they were blessed. In this particular church, at the different age groups that they see. And in every church, you'll see different... uh, all sorts of different personalities, but there can still be this wonderful unity like a good family, a healthy family with a good uh, father leading the family. Isn't that cool? And so, and of course, the the father, as Jesus says here, is the gardener. So, when we humble ourselves, and say, All "Right, Lord, you're in charge," um, then we're going to allow Him to decide what He wants to do with us, which is smart, humble, but very smart. And how He wants to shape us, and of course, that includes pruning. Now, pruning is a funny thing; it's sort of counterproductive. You think if you just or a casual or ill-informed gardener, you might think that's not what I want to do. I want this thing to grow, but because it, it, it appears damaging to, to the vine or the, the shrub that you're dealing with, um, but of course plants benefit from it. Now, if a gardener knows what he's doing, he can prune really quite radically. So it, it as I said, looks counterproductive. It now looks kind of ugly and dead, and look. I was going to talk about I was going to talk about my in-laws today because my father-in-law is a very ex- cool expert gardener and my mother-in-law has a wonderful garden. The only problem is they're here. And the last time I did this, no, not the last time, but many, many years ago in Russia, I I told a story about my in-laws and um, and they were there they visited us in russia they missed me so much actually maybe they missed Ruth and the children okay but so Jonah says they were uh in the church in russia and i told some joke and then i and this is all through the interpreter right we had this brilliant interpreter uh who was very um what's very exact in his interpretation he wasn't a real flowy kind of guy he was real he was a computer nerd. do he was? Um, <laughs> let's face it, he was. But he, he was very exact, and um, and I made some joke and said, "Oh look, my my in-laws are here. i have come all the way from Australia. You've got to come." And and everyone looked and gave him a clap. I said, "Yes, you've got to go a long way. To, you've got to travel a long way to get away from your in-laws, don't you?" And um, and he translated that, and no one laughed. I thought, "Oh well, that's." Not new, because jokes are hard to translate, and we carried on. We went the whole service, and we had these wonderful services, you know, people getting saved and all the music. And the end of the service, we said, um, all right, God bless you. Have a great week, da-da-da, you know. And then Dennis, Dennis Dolginski, oh, precious, oh. (sighs) Anyway, Dennis comes up and he says, Chris. He he sort of had an American-Russian accent, you know. He said, um... I just want to confirm, I, I believe I may have misinterpreted something earlier in the service. When you were talking about Ruth's parents, you said uh, you have to go a long way to get away from your enemies. Is that correct? I said, what? <laughs> what? He said, well, you said you have to go a long way to get away from your enemies. I, trans- I said, well, no wonder no one laughed. No, they're not my enemies. I said, In-laws. In-laws. What is in-laws? Oh, as in mother-in-law, father-in-law, plural. In-laws. Oh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that phrase. In-laws. I understand. Okay. <laughs> and then and so everyone is dispersing. There's a thousand people in this meeting. And he's like, oh, excuse me, everyone, can I have your attention, please? You know, in Russian. And he's, you know, he's, uh, and he's basically trying to tell everyone, uh, look, when Pastor Chris was talking about the, uh, the not the enemy, he does not hate his in-laws. See, those people. Chris. Ah, uh, oh, I said, Dennis, forget it. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> so, um, so uh, I, yeah, well, you don't have to go so far. But anyway. I'm going to just say this, uh, my, my in-laws have wonderful garden, right, they've always had great gardens, and John's a really good gardener, and that involves pruning, Now, Cecily loves her garden, but she doesn't like the pruning bit, and I can remember early on in our marriage, we would go and visit the the, the in-laws, the enemy, I mean, the, <laughs> we'd go and visit, and you'd walk out the back, this beautiful home in Roonga, and they've got the grass tennis court, and the Orange grove down the side And all these beautiful flowers and plants But then you'd hear oh, 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 And then cecil would come around Oh Ruthie, Christopher, tell him to stop Tell him to stop. You think, what is someone being murdered? It's like, what's going on? And she's like, oh he's just destroying the hydrangeas again you know? And says, look I, I am being overly dramatic But not that much Because you uh, can be quite dramatic um, <laughs> I say that With love, it's true And um but she's very animated, and she'd come up and she'd say, "Oh, you know, Johnny, Johnny, stop!" I remember i was to her that, "Oh, Johnny, stop it, stop it!" And there's John, you know, looking like he's destroying. I remember particularly this hydrangea bush, you know, and if you're a gardener, you'll know they need radical pruning. And it looked like he's just gone berserk. And, and I'd think, well, maybe you're right, says he's settled down. You, look what you're doing to your wife. It's, it's, you know, is it worth it, this tree? I mean, what have you got against it? It's real. He's hacking away. But he knows exactly what he's doing because come springtime, the hydrangeas, full, lush, green with these big, beautiful purple flowers, and then there's says saying, don't you love our garden? And walking around and showing the garden off. And then it had happened every year. You, you go, you know, the right time of year, you'd, you'd get the stressful. Come on, you're hacking it back too much. The pruning, it's too much. And um, but he knew what he was doing, and uh, and God knows what he's doing. And uh, I mean, if you've ever driven through the Hunter Valley in winter, you'll think, well, look at those sad. They must be the dead ones. Oh, hang on, they're all looking the same. The the grapevines, they look pretty radically pruned and there's no leaves they look pretty they look dead they they look like they've just that's they've shoveled up they're just waiting for spring and the experts have pruned them and those vineyards can last hundreds of years producing fruit and so if you've ever felt pruned obviously here's the message sometimes you might feel dead sometimes you feel like oh god yeah and and it's just the winter and spring is coming and if you're in God's hands, there may be some discipline. There may be something that's been cut back, something that you would have liked to grow. And yet if it was just let to go and grow, you'd end up getting all straggly like a hydrangea that never gets pruned. And you're better for it if you're humbled under God's hand. And so, um, and to emphasize the need for us to abide in God, Jesus makes this radical statement in verse five. He says, apart from me, You can do nothing. That's a strong statement. Because I don't know about you, I sort of think, well, hang on a minute, I can do some things. We know that's true of the branches. If you cut them off from a vine, obviously they're going to die. Well, he's saying, yeah, it's pretty much the same. Because nothing that you do will have eternal worth. Nothing's really going to be valuable in the long run. It's the same as saying pretty much, well, you can do nothing. And uh, that's... Well, you could say that's a bit hard to take. It's a bit disheartening. Or you can just take it on board as being kind of sobering and humbling and reminding you, yeah, okay, I really need to rely on God. This is going to be a good thing, just like the pruning eventually will be a good thing. Because this touches on the issue of surrender, on the fact that we have a choice. You can live your life just the way you want to. You can... you can run around, organize everything yourself, and no one's going to stop you. God himself is not going to step in. Or you can realize that you are desperately in need of God's love and grace and forgiveness and guidance and strength, so that then you admit that you are relatively hopeless and helpless and without him, and so then you reach out and say, okay, I surrender to you, Lord, and I will abide with you. And in you, and I'll receive all that I really need from you. And this is then part of or the beginnings of a life that is living from the inside out, not just relying on what I can do or what I can get my hands on that's on the outside, but on what God's doing on the inside. Ole Halsby was a Norwegian pastor and author, and he wrote a book on prayer. And not surprisingly, he called the book Prayer. Uh, which I thought was typically uh, Scandinavian of him. Um, He made this observation. As far as I can see, prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. Listen, my friend, your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. He hears it from the very moment that you are seized with helplessness and he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answering the prayer of your helplessness. I thought that is well said. That's quite strong. But again, if you've ever felt helpless or weak or useless, that's not a bad thing. In fact, that's kind of a good thing because that's, that's a good place to approach God from. That's the perfect position to from where you can reach out, connect and abide with him rather than being full of pride. And, you know, you can, you can hook on to God and salvation and his world and be in church and all that. But we can still just be prideful and that will repel the work that God wants to do inside us. And Paul knew this. Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians, I delight in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the in the difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that a cool irony? In admitting his weakness, he then makes room for God's power to come in and strengthen him. And too many people are too afraid of admitting their weakness And so they stay all stroppy and prideful and ultimately much weaker than they would be if they admitted their weakness and then had God's strength come and flow and are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Isn't that cool? So let me mention one other guy and then we'll come to a close in the next hour. Henry Light um, was, uh, was born in Britain 1793, and a time of turmoil. They were at war with France at the time. At the age of five, his family moved um, to where his father was posted in the army to put down the Irish rebellion. And uh, his father then left, abandoned the family. He was close, young Henry, was close to his mother, who was very godly, but at the same time he was sent to boarding school, so that was tough for him. Then his mother died. Then his only other sibling, his younger brother, died. And so at the age of nine, he was now completely alone in the world without any means of support except for the Lord. But God looked after him. A godly man who was a minister and, in fact, the principal of the school that he was at sponsored him and became he became sort of unofficially adopted into this family and paid for his schooling. He studied hard. He earned a scholarship to university. He trained for the ministry, became a pastor, and he went on to serve in one church for 23 years, even though he struggled with ill health. So he was making something of his life because he was learning to abide in the Lord and he studied and worked. But he's, as I said, he he struggled for a long time. He was um, sick. And in fact, he was dying of tuberculosis Uh, and he he was inspired to write a hymn called, Abide With Me. And some of our more mature people here would know it well. And here's a few of the verses that you can tell, reflect his position and understanding of the fragility of life that he was experiencing, but also the wonderful grace that's available and the strength that comes from abiding with the Lord. Uh, You may be familiar, as I said, with some of these words. Abide with me, he wrote. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless. Abide with me. Swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim. Its glories pass away. Change and decay In all around I see, but thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. And he wrote several other verses. Uh, He wrote that in 1847. He was 54 years old, struggling... Uh, with sickness and he finished it on one Sunday that was the uh, same day he gave his final sermon to the parish that he'd served for so many more so many years and then he left to go to the continent to try and improve his health he never made it as far as his destination Italy because three weeks after he wrote that he died and as I said he knew what it was like to abide in Jesus to be connected to the vine because well he had to because he knew uh, all the other connections he had with the world were coming to an end and I think that revelation that realization of the close relationship that's possible that we can have between us and Jesus uh comes through in his hymn and the last verse let me read you this this was his last verse of that that uh, song that poem uh Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In, lef, in life, I should say, in life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. And that hymn has ministered to so many people down through the generations. And that's part of the fruit that his life produced, the fruit that Jesus talks about in this passage. And let's note that, that if we abide with Jesus, he promises that you will bear much fruit. And when you think about that fruit, of course, again, we might think, like I started by talking about successes, we think of all the measurable things of fruitfulness, but if we're living from the inside out, the fruit starts in our character. And uh, just as Jack Hayford had said that I quoted before, and, uh, and all the other fruit and the results and the productivity of our life flows out of that. And it'll come naturally according to the gifts God's given you and according to the natural way of living things producing fruit. If our roots are strong and we're getting nutrients and watered and growing, then a tree... Look, I don't hear my orange tree in the backyard groaning and being stressed. And worried, saying, oh, how many oranges this year? Oh, it's not enough. I wish oranges were bigger than that. Look at that orange tree across the other side of the... Look at these oranges. Mine aren't as big. Why can't I have better oranges? Oranges, I wish I had lemons. Why am I only doing oranges? Oh, no. He's just happy. He's just an orange tree. He's not trying to produce anything but oranges. Hello? And he's not looking at the bigger orange tree down the road or the oak tree. Oh, look at that or the whole... You know what I'm saying? We worry sometimes and compare ourselves and all. But God calls us just to be well-planted and to be abiding in the vine and then our branch of grapes will naturally be produced for his glory. Amen? So let's decide to abide and, uh, and stay fertilized, planted, watered, pruned if necessary. Amen? Praise him. hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c 3